0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today good morning everybody this is Box. the headlines germany unveils fresh covid restrictions focused on the unvaccinated as acting chancellor angela merkel says action is needed now
1: The situation is highly dramatic and it will be very important now that action is taken quickly. That action is taken consistently. That better control is taken. The
0: S&P 500 and the Nasdaq close at fresh record highs as investors count down to President Biden's choice for Fed chair.
2: Uh, Alibaba, well, it's down 9.8%, plunging in Hong Kong trade after a similar session on Wall Street as it misses forecasts and slashes guidance. Plus, Apple is reportedly picking up the pace on the development of a fully autonomous EV, aiming for release as soon as 2025. Yeah, very well thank you very much i just want to say hello
0: before you do your read okay you get to the doom and gloom of that, the news that's, that's very kind well i think we all knew that these were coming so let's yeah. get into them germany's acting chancellor angela merkel has announced the new set of measures to curb the rising number of covid 19 cases and increasing hospitalisation rates. Unvaccinated people will be barred from entering some public venues in parts of the country where rates exceed a certain threshold. Merkel highlighted the importance
1: of getting a jab.
3: We know, and
1: it's unfortunate. We could be better off if the vaccination gap wasn't so big. And that's why many measures that need to be taken now would not have been necessary if we had more vaccinated people. And it is never too late to get vaccinated. Even now, you can still make a good contribution for yourself and for the community with the first vaccination. Well,
0: let's bring Annetta in on the story uh, for a look at exactly what these new restrictions imply and how they will work. Good morning, Annetta. Maybe just flesh out the story for us. Uh, Who will they affect and how will they be affected?
1: Essentially, those new restrictions will um, be effective in almost all of Germany because hospitalization rates are already um, exceeding that threshold Angela Merkel was referring to. So what happens now is that unvaccinated can't travel anymore uh, Yeah. on on the train, for example, public transport can only be taken by unvaccinated if they have a test um, and also restaurants and bars and theatres, all that kind of public venues are more or less restricted for those who have not been vaccinated without a test and if hospitalisation rates will rise even further, which is more or less quite likely because uh, the incidence levels are increasing exponentially here in Germany, then um, everybody needs to get a test again before entering any public space. When it comes to the work um, area, that also it can un- unvaccinated people cannot go into the, their, their offices without having a test. So it's essentially we call it two G. Um, either you are um, you you had it, um, or you have. You got a, a vaccination and that's the only possibility to actually take part in public life as, uh, as normal. Um, the vaccination rates in Germany are very much dispersed whereas the West of Germany has quite high vaccination rates. Parts of the East are especially badly affected and they don't have vaccination levels exceeding 50%, especially Saxony. And that is also w- the areas which are worst affected by the now- Uh, resurgence of the of the virus for example Saxony where Dresden is located they are looking into a complete lockdown, for example, because the hospitals already are filling up tra- uh, dramatically. The same holds true for parts of Bavaria. The, the, uh, the region close to Austria, for example, is very badly affected. And also here, uh, Markus Söder, the prime minister of Bavaria, is looking into severe restrictions for the whole of the public, because clearly... Uh, we are entering a um, a potential um, filling up of ICU beds. And that is something, of course, um, the the politicians want to prevent. So the situation is bad here in Germany, to line it, uh, to to sum it up. Um, And that is most likely the last time we heard Angela Merkel um, interfering in the coronavirus politics, because clearly next time it will most likely be Olaf Scholz.
0: Well, let me ask you a question, uh, Anetta, about the reason why there are so many unvaccinated in Germany. Is, is it about widespread suspicion of the government and the medication, or is this another failing on the part of Jens Spahn, who, who's described this, I know, as a pandemic of the unvaccinated? But he wasn't sure-footed at the beginning of this crisis. And I do wonder whether there's a legacy here, and that 's part of the reason why people are reluctant to get the both both of the vaccines
1: no actually, it is sadly I have to say it 's because there's a widespread um, reluctance to do what the government wants to do, and it 's especially widespread in the eastern part of germany and One could argue that 's like a socialist legacy that people could, like, in general don't don 't trust the state. There are widespread theories about that the vaccination has uh, long-term negative effects on your body. Um, And there's a high correlation between AFD, the populist party voters, and those who are not getting vaccinated. And if you just uh, draw up a map of Germany, you see a, a very high correlation between, as I said, AFD voters, non-vaccinated people, especially in Saxony. Saxony is like the stronghold of the party. They actually are the, the biggest party or the most popular party in that part of Germany and that's where, where um, we have incidence level which are beyond 1,000 per 100 uh, people inhabitants and of course also hospitalization rates which are far exceeding any threshold Angela Merkel and the government is currently talking about. So they there is a, a valid reason for them to go into complete lockdown. Yeah, um, that's the situation here. And of course, now the political discussion is all, also starting whether, those vac- whether, whether uh, the, yeah, Berlin can somehow enact a mandatory vaccination, at least for certain specific groups, um, for example, caretakers, etc. But that's highly contested and highly controversial currently still in Germany.
0: Annette, terrific. Thank you very much indeed for that. And, of course, early doors in terms of trying to work out what it implies uh, for the service sector in Germany. I wonder if the market, Steve, will take much note today.
2: Um, I don't think so, actually. Um, I think the markets are doing their own thing. I think we spend way too much time, Uh, I'll hold my hands up, me included, uh, saying this is happening in COVID land, this is what the markets are doing. I think the markets have moved on from their attitude to COVID that we had in the spring 2020. They've moved on from the attitude the markets had when we first heard about vaccines, and then we first saw the start of the mass rollout of vaccines. I think because policymakers' attitudes and economists' attitudes uh, to the underlying economic activity uh, has been tweaked, so I think the markets have decided it is not their story on a daily basis. Of course, when we see the mammoth moves, for instance, if we saw or a mutation uh, that that couldn't be um, coped with by the current vaccination suite, then I think the markets would start taking note. But I think, by and large, the markets saying it's important, it's a big story, it's an underlying story, but it's like inflation. It's like a lot of other factors as well. It's just another factor in the mix. It is not the predominant factor. Uh, and that's shown out by the markets this week, for instance, as well. I mean, we've had a lot of news on COVID. The markets really, I don't think, are following every minutiae on that, every minutiae on the vaccination rates, on the uh, positive testing rates, uh, and on lockdowns as well. Uh, unless, dare I say it, it happens in the United States. And I know it's a sad state of the affairs when only one country dominates the destination markets, but uh, we all know it's the case in many, many examples. So the markets this week, for instance, the Dow's down 0.6%, the S&P's up half percent and the Nasdaq is up point. 9 of 1%. In fact, those moves for the week mirrored in yesterday's session where the data yesterday, let's move on to the Treasuries as I talk about the data. Data yesterday um, was like a 2-1 win uh, for the bulls out there as well. We saw some really, really solid uh, weekly jobless claims. I mean, look, the 268,000 new jobless claims that we saw yesterday is magnificently below the uh, third quarter average of 365. So way better yesterday, again, on the jobs front as well. Um, we saw a score draw in terms of the, the sentiment surveys. The Philly Fed was better than expected. The Kansas survey was worse as well. So that's why I gave it a 2-1 score uh, for positive data. The treasuries did nothing on the back of it. We were trading roughly at 159 yesterday and we still are now. Now the oil price is fascinating. Do you remember? I'm sure you do, unless you had a big night last night. This time yesterday, we were talking about potentially sub $80 barrel Brent crude, worries about supply concerns. I I think it might have even made it into our headlines as well, and about how uh, they were looking at all oh, potentially having um, releases of SPRs on both sides of the Pacific, how the OECD was going to get together to release more well, um, that was two bucks lower.) <laughs> really do much good did it those headlines as well so i don't know what's next in the toolkit for uh, the Biden administration and others who are desperately concerned about this higher price and i think there are some real concerns $82 a barrel the fact is we were 79 handled briefly yesterday we're now $82 per barrel so that didn't last long did it Let's have a look at Asian indices. Uh, The Hang Seng is the notable standout, and we'll get to that in a few moments time. The rationale for that down 1.2%. I think we might have been in our headlines actually. I think I might have even read it myself. Uh, Shanghai Composite is up 1%. The ASX 200 is up 0.2 of 1%. Opening calls for the European indices look like this. And therein lies my point, Mr. Cartmore, before you get to Macy's and our guests and everything else as well. The markets are blithely ignorant. You can look at me, yes. Poor old, poor old Jeff. The director Roger said, "You can look at him." Hi, Jeff. Hello. (laughs) Um, Markets blithely ignoring the horrendous data that we're seeing out some jurisdictions on COVID at the moment.
0: Yes, I mean the reason it matters is because uh, the director has to prepare the shot to go wide from being uh, on the mid shot. I know, but he
2: said, "You can look at me." I mean, just. Yeah, it's it's love in your eyes I see this morning.
0: Let's have a look at uh, retail sales then. Macy's shares surged more than 22% in Thursday's trade, hitting a three-year high. The US department store posted a third-quarter beat on the top and the bottom line and lifted its forecasts ahead of the holiday season. CEO Jeff Janetta told CNBC Macy's digital offering is now drawing younger customers into its physical stores.
3: They're younger, they're more diverse and they're predominantly coming in through digital. And they're coming in on new categories, and we now have the opportunity through everything we're doing with our personalization initiatives to start to seed you know, new ways for them to shop the second and the third time. We're finding that they're finding their way into the stores. Uh, it's just been a great flywheel for us.
0: Kohl's shares rose double digits on Thursday as the retailer posted a 16% jump in third quarter sales and lifted its annual guidance. Cole says it is benefiting from the economic reopening as shoppers refresh their wardrobes. While it says its partnership with the French beauty and retailer uh, Sephora has drawn in a younger and more diverse customer base. Thursday's earnings from Coles and Macy's cap a week of strong results among the US big box retailers with Walmart, Lowe's and Target also beating forecasts. Shares in Walmart and Target are down more than 3% for the week as they vowed to keep prices low despite inflation and cost pressures. Brandon Fletcher, senior analyst at Bernstein, joins us. Brandon, very good morning to you. Are we now finding out exactly what those furloughed Americans did with those checks from the federal government?
3: Yeah, I mean, for sure, there's an absolute uh, benefit that's come from all of the stimulus. And importantly, to remember that there are child tax credits that are in every monthly check, uh, as opposed to in the past, where it was a single receipt. But what's remarkable is that the expenditure is everywhere. So it's it's beyond just stimulus. Obviously, there have been raises for the lower working uh, folks in America for the last several years. And so they feel a little better. The middle class, frankly, didn't do that well, but stimulus gives them some confidence and they participate a little bit in their house value and 401ks. And then everybody who's wealthy is obviously winning. And so you can actually have comps. Pretty much across the board, uh, making it a really fascinating time for retail because it gets trickier to pick out who the winners will actually be uh, given that sales are up for just about everyone.
0: Yeah, then, then that's the fascinating part here because I think we're all trying to understand what consumer behavior looks like post the pandemic lockdowns and it does seem as though people are heading back into the stores at this stage so where's the value in the retail sector at the moment what do you think our audience should be kicking the tires on or even buying
3: yeah. And so, you know, uh, usually when I join you guys, I try to be outside and in a physical store looking at what's going on in the real world. Things have been so crazy in terms of understanding where the market is that I'm actually in New York for the first time almost ever <laughs> because investors are trying to sort out where to go. And our biases and, and those that uh, we've been recommending are actually to think about winners that are defensives, but also have idiosyncratic growth. So let's think about a Walmart or a Dollar Tree. Those are individual companies who, if things turn out to not be as fabulous as they look, we start rolling over the remarkable stimulus packages of the last several years. Uh, We can't continue to have constantly increasing wages that keep pace with inflation. Uh, Then it's possible that you actually need to rotate to a defensive. But what if we're in 1998 and not 1999? we're not near the end of this incredible run, then you need to think about how someone's going to make incremental growth. And so we like somebody like Walmart who has this very solid e-commerce play and is participating essentially at the same level, if not a little faster, uh, than some of the rates of Amazon growth inside of their categories. And it's great to see some of the department stores have their day. We don't cover those guys simply because the dynamics that we think of that industry are a little bit more complicated long run, but you can get e-commerce exposure inside of a little bit safer names that have a little bit less volatility uh, than you might see in some of the department stores.
2: Brandon, um, the communications and marketing people at these retailers must be cock-a-hoop at the moment, high-fiving each other left, right and centre because you know better than anyone this is all about full-price sales. Uh, it's about holding the look with the consumer ahead of the uh, the Black Friday, ahead of Cyber Monday, ahead of the huge discounting that comes later. They've sp- spun a story this year that you can't get hold of anything from the American Christmas Tree Association, to turkeys, to electronics goods, to, to clothing, to toys. They must have said, we've nailed it this year because what we did is we told everyone, you can't get hold of anything, you better buy it quickly. That's happened, hasn't it?
3: It absolutely has, and what's interesting about that, and that's part of the tiering between, more broadly, larger retailers and smaller retailers, is that when you see images, which you'll see of shelves that are completely bare, for the most part, those are in much smaller stores. So in the United States, it's an unbelievably fragmented market to this day, with 20% of grocery stores being owned by not publicly traded entities that have no public debt, and you wouldn't even know they were around unless you happen to live in those towns in which is their base. So when those stores are entirely out, suddenly that creates this impulse to shop and buy whatever you can. Well, the large retailers have largely avoided the opportunities created by port because in many cases they have their own boats. They'll actually contract out as Costco and Home Depot and Walmart has done for years. They'll fly critical product over because they can afford to do so at reasonable rates. And suddenly you've pushed demand exactly with the marketing message and you're actually in stock. Uh, most of the inventory positions are higher this year than last year, both true for Walmart, Best Buy, you pretty much named it among the big retail space, and they are ready to go. So the real dynamic will be of anybody who's having all this traffic in the door, how long can they hold on to the margin? And I think importantly coming into next year, if you're not going to have something as great as we've had in the last couple of quarters, then you start to have this challenge of wallets that have been pressured by inflation and these very interesting schemes to pull some of that money out of your pocket, it gets harder to lap year after year after year, and at some point, uh, the. Party Party will at some point have to be over.
2: Yeah, Brandon, I'm just going back in my own life as well. Was it Star Wars Dolls in the 70s, Sega Mega <sighs> Drive in the 90s, Furbies, Cabbage Patch, Power Rangers. I've seen it every single year. There's something you just can't get, and you're creating right. that demand as well. So what about this discounting period as well? I mean, as you quite rightly said there, the inventories are better than they've been uh, for quite a while as well. Uh, The sales period, the holiday period, that's going to be the key for all of them. We all know what uh, Black Friday represents as well. Uh, Are they going to pull it off over the entire Christmas period?
3: Yeah, I think what's fascinating is most retailers have abandoned Black Friday per se and started to make their deals a lot more strategically allocated based on the arrivals. And one of the things that's making all of the port delays not so difficult is the marketing teams will build the creative for whatever they're going to message and essentially whatever shows up is what gets promoted. So in the past, everyone would have absolutely lost their minds that they didn't have everything ready to go for Black Friday, but whatever showed up early, they went ahead and put on sale. Whatever is going to show up later will go on sale past Black Friday. And historically, Black Friday was a very difficult game because it forced all the retailers to essentially chop each other up by opening ever closer to Thanksgiving and having even more crazy deals. But because you spread it over different times, your segmentation of customer allows you to not pay such an enormous price in margin investment to gain that traffic. So, frankly, Black Friday was a better deal for customers five years ago than it's going to be this year. But it's going to feel exciting because as people do some of these amazing deals, which they will offer from time to time, it returns the sense of treasure hunt. And a lot of times customers just enjoy that sense of, uh, of a shopping occasion, uh, but they don't have to wake up at midnight and stand out in the gold.
2: Brandon, jingle all the way. You seen the movie? It is the movie for me that sums this all up more than any other movie ever. I mean, we talk about Terminator, all the other great Schwarzenegger films. That's the one, isn't it? That sums up (laughs) this mad Ferrari every year. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, it has a lost. It was a great time, frankly, to be an operator, as I was inside of stores. It was, for a moment, a really fascinating time. And then it got too difficult and physically violent. And those were certainly days that we could do without. I think we're getting back to a happier medium where you're going to have people line up for things that are, are really special. Last Black Friday, there were still lines that were available for key items like PlayStation 5 or whatever. Uh, but I think what we're getting is that individual preferences will be served by... Uh, good and careful segmentation and so you can have your experience of rushing to get the key item but instead of competing against 110 million families you're going to be competing against the two or three million people who are into the same Brandon, thing you are.
2: I better leave it there it's too cold for you to stand outside in the Walmart car park this time of year as well Brandon thanks very much indeed for that. Brandon Fletcher senior analyst at Bernstein as well I mean you, you remember the movie? Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Yes, yeah, no. no, And uh, we've all been there as parents, haven't we? Uh, Definitely. Yeah, Yeah,
0: no, it's been painful. But there's a very interesting um, question about cause and effect. So the argument has been you better rush to the shops and buy all these things because of the supply chain shortages. Is the burst of spending that came as Americans were able to leave their own homes and go out and shop again and they got this free money, is that part of the reason we've got supply chain issues? Because well, your
2: transitory... people
0: are buying stuff they don't actually need.
2: Well, that's what the transit, that, that is the—that is the—that is the core foundation. That is the concrete with the iron bars put in it yeah. the, of the, the of the argument from the transitory camp. So I think you've just nailed what a lot of the economists who keep telling us that it's all transitory have just said. So the federal government is in part responsible for creating the uh, (laughs) spike in inflation. Well, they
0: better spend some more money on
2: infrastructure, hadn't they?
0: Absolutely. Coming up on the programme then, fears re-emerge over China's economy as Alibaba warns of slowing growth. We'll have that story when we come back. Stay with us.
2: I am told that this podcast is quite frankly-linked, Pulitzer-like. If they do a Pulitzer for a podcast, uh, anyway, um, for more on the reintroduction of restrictions in Germany, check out the Squawk Box podcast before it's award nominated. Alibaba has slashed its revenue growth forecast for this year, pointing to increased competition and regulations for the move, shares in the Chinese e-commerce uh, group, uh, down 10 percent, uh, plunging on the announcement. Uh, Alibaba now projects revenue will grow between 20 and 23 percent the slowest pace since its market debut after missing expectations in the second quarter elsewhere chinese retailer jd.com also warned of slowing growth in the second half of its fiscal year in a conference call the company's president said jd faced a myriad of headwinds including relatively weak consumption demand as well as rising prices of raw materials covid cases and extreme weather patterns.
0: Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has announced an additional fiscal stimulus package worth $490 billion as he looks to revive growth in the Japanese economy. The amount is larger than had been expected, while the government will compile an extra budget before the end of the year to fund the proposals. It comes as Japan's core inflation rose 0.1% in October on an annual basis, the second straight month of growth. After months of wrangling and false starts, President Biden's Build Back Better bill is expected to be voted in the House of Representatives tomorrow. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy derailed the chances of a vote in the next few hours... With a lengthy speech, the Congressional Budget Office says the bill would bump the federal budget deficit up $160 billion over the next decade. The Democrats' right wing had refused to vote on the bill until the financial assessment had been completed. Well, President Biden is nearing a decision on his nominee for Fed Chair And whether Jay Powell should keep his job, the central bank has hinted at rate hikes coming sooner rather than later. The Chicago Fed President Charles Evans and Atlanta Fed President uh, Raphael Bostic have both indicated that a rate rise could come as soon as next year. And I guess the uh, question that uh, will only be answered in the fullness of time is if Lael Brainard wins and is the person who becomes the head of the Fed, will it make any difference to
2: policy? I have no idea. And I don't think anyone does do today. I mean, well, didn't, largely didn't we all said, talk no, about it won't change Jay policy? Powell is making a big difference to yeah. Yellen and before that, Bernanke. Bernanke, and we seem to see a continuous pattern, which actually very little, very little politics involved, which is good news, mm. to be honest. They don't seem to respond to whether they have Democrat or Republican stripes. Uh, but the other news is, I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I honestly can't see how, how what the comments from Brainard and the comments from Powell would have changed much the, that we've seen over the last few years, uh, changed policy. What, what would have changed in terms of interest rate policy? Very little, I'd imagine.
0: Uh, no, I agree with you. I mean, the, uh, the, the subtle shift that I think we've witnessed um, since uh, Janet Yellen ultimately is more of a focus on labour and employment rates than perhaps previously where price movements were... Um, I guess the, the core focus and key to the policy remit. But there have been a couple of things that have shifted a little bit. One, it seems to me, is there's, there's much more of a focus on uh, labor conditions, the state of the labor market, the unemployment rate, the participation rate, and to a certain extent, perhaps more of a reluctance to upset the markets. And maybe that has something to do with the 2013 uh, taper tantrum and concerns about ultimately, where uh, bond rates uh, imply mortgage rates are going. But it does feel as though the Fed, to a certain extent, has become captured by its own policy.
2: Well, for sure. But, I mean, the terror that central bankers have of getting it wrong at this stage of the cycle when there should have been, at some stage, a slowdown in economic activity, but because everything's been distorted by A, COVID, and B, this vast amount of quantitative easing, and and C, um, uh, the, 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 the debt that's been taken on by a vast amount of individuals, corporates, municipalities and states as well. I mean, everything's distorted compared to even 10, 15 years ago as well. So the terror that central banks have now of, of acting and tipping the market over the edge and tipping the economy over the edge, and it must be absolutely palpable. The, 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 the cost of getting it wrong of tightening too quickly is far greater, I would suggest, now than it has been for decades. So the pressure on previous central bankers from Greenspan to Bernanke to Yellen Movie was, was less than it is now of making a policy mistake even on the tightest, I saw in the Bank of England, they were talking about rate hikes before the end of the year. And I, I, I saw, oh, well, it's almost... Sh- Nailed on now that we're going to have a rate hike in December, and I was like, okay, fine, you know, December the sixteenth, I think it is, and we've got the Fed on the fourteenth and fifteenth as well. So, um, and I was like, oh, what, what, what's it going to? Point one two five people are talking about. Did you see that? They're talking about point one two five of a percent rate hike from the Bank of England at the start uh, in the December. What on earth difference is that going to make to anyone's financing? Mm. Mm. What on yeah, it, no, I, so I what, believe I am. palpable terror of putting point one two five percent increase, and the markets. How will they react?
0: Yes, In I mean, I think world, I asked that have specific effect. question to Andrew Bailey about um, what does that tell us about the state of the UK economy if you're concerned that introducing a modest hike of that degree. Would uh, tip us back into recession. Oh, so you asked him about the point. I, a- I asked him, yeah, and I said, um, you know, you've obviously decided not to go at this point. But does that indicate to everybody that the UK economy is on such a knife edge that a very modest Absolutely. increase in rates would tip us into uh, what an economic slowdown? And he obfuscated, I would say, Good and said no. That isn't the case, but the precautionary principle, I think, is primary at this stage. It is totally the case. Why introduce the uh, rate hike when we're still waiting to see what the impact of the uh, job scheme being unwound is going to mean for the economy?
2: Previous cycles, you wouldn't worry about a a 25 basis point rate hike. You wouldn't particularly worry about a 50 basis point rate hike. But what you would worry is about the cumulative effect of the rate rising cycle, not what an individual wait and see, uh, precautionary, we just take back the last one uh, move would be on the tightening front well. It just shows how absolutely precarious these economies are. That that obfuscation, which is such a lovely word, almost as good as the filibustering that's going on from Kevin McCarthy. Yes, Um, We should do words of the day, shouldn't we? Obfuscation, that is word of the day. You've made it. Yeah, I'm not clear about what it... uh, Never mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you
2: can head to cnbc.com.
0: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.